You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. We are here to discuss Wayne's World, which came out in 1992 and was directed by Penelope Spheris. Just outside of Chicago. Galileo. 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 In the basement of this house. Broadcast history is about to be made. Extreme close-up! I want you to find out who these guys are and where they do their show. It's Wade. This is definitely the type of place I'm going to get when I move out of my parents' house. It's Garth. I love you, God. If she were a president, she'd be Abraham Lincoln. It's a movie. We're not worthy! We're not worthy! Wayne's World. It just might be the greatest motion picture ever made. Are you mental? Wayne's World. It stars Mike Myers, Dana Carvey, Rob Lowe, Tia Carrera, Lara Flynn Boyle, Kurt Fuller, Brian Doyle Murray, Colleen Camp, and Ed O'Neill. The genre would be meta-buddy comedy. If, like myself, you vividly remember seeing and loving this movie as a teenager, my apologies up front for reminding you that this seminal comedy is about to turn 30. I know. But how could it not be, as this film is so much of its time? So 1992. It was adapted from an increasingly popular regular skit on Saturday Night Live with the same two stars of that skit, Mike Myers and Dana Carvey, both of whom were arguably the most versatile performers on that show at the time. Myers plays Wayne, Carvey plays Garth, and it was the first narrative feature to be directed by Penelope Spheris, who up until this point had specialized in rock documentaries. This was also the film acting debut for Myers, who up until that point had only been on TV. Pretty on, Garth. Pretty on, Wayne. Okay, we've got a new feature on Wayne's World this week, which allows us to travel through time and space. It's called Chroma Key, and it's really handy if you want to go to New York. Hey, we're in New York. I got a gun. Let's get to a Broadway show. I guess kids get this. Oh, they love it. Or maybe you prefer Hawaii. Mukalakahiki. Come on, you want to lay me? Pass the point, mahalo. Or say you want to go to Texas. Howdy, partners. Let's raise rough broncos. Let's go down to the floor. Howdy, y'all. Or imagine being able to be magically whisked away to Delaware. Hi. I'm in Delaware. And you can tell that there is some raw talent involved with this film, as there is often just kind of a slapdash quality to it. It almost feels just like a series of narrative sketches, and there are definitely a couple of rough patches. Some gags that don't really seem to have much of a point or punchline. But I still say almost because at its core, you have two very winning performances from the main leads, which carry it forward. There's a sweetness and camaraderie there, which just cannot be faked. And despite a lot of talk since then about how they actually could not stand working with each other at the time, both Myers and Carvey have good chemistry, and they are both adept at bringing the funny. 
they pull off a lot of jokes which on paper are positively juvenile. What do you think of that? I'd have to say, a sphincter says what? What? A sphincter says what? What? Exactly. You can tell no matter how ridiculous it is, Myers and Carvey are just going for it. They're constantly breaking the fourth wall. There's underwear gags. There's speaking Cantonese. There's one sequence of one of them doing a celebratory dance to Foxy Lady in a donut shop. They're wearing Reebok gear, and they're even trying to act out the opening credits from Laverne and Shirley. Look, they're Shop Brewery. Cool. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. The Mazo, Austin Pepper, and Carpreet. And even though many of the references and gags are quite dated to 1992, there's just a sense of playfulness which carries all of it through. Myers and Carvey, of course, get great support from the rest of the cast as well. Yes, Tia Carrera's Cassandra is very much a straight male's walking fantasy, but at the very least, she's likable, and she brings her own brand of funny. I mean, hey, she learned English from the Police Academy movies, right? And I could be wrong about this, but after spending much of the 80s playing vapid pretty boys, this feels like the first time Rob Lowe played his persona more for comedy, as the villainous Benjamin. You could just see the DNA here for the comedic heights that he would reach 15 years later in Parks and Recreation, which is a show that I love. And he asks me, what's with this show, Wayne's World, that I keep hearing so much about? Well, I have all your shows on tape. Like I said, I'm a fan. I put a show in for him. And he literally jumped out of his seat. And you have strong supporting comedic players throughout this movie, including Colleen Camp, who strangely took off in the Police Academy movies. She starred in those movies. Kurt Fuller, Ed O'Neill, and the always enjoyable Brian Doyle Murray as the self-titled owner of Noah's Arcades. I'd never done a crazy thing in my life before that night. Why is it if a man kills another man in battle, it's called heroic? Yet if he kills a man in the heat of passion called murder hello speaking of which video game arcades portable cd players chia pets public access tv hair metal yes this is all very 1992 so it's easy to dismiss enjoyment of this film as 100 percent nostalgia as wayne's world just kind of revels in that stuff they clearly were not going for a timeless feel here and that's okay too because both wayne and garth are still clearly drawn protagonists at the end of the day with hopes dreams aspirations, and even some childish selfishness thrown in. They're silly, but they're still relatable. And unlike similar pairs around this time period, like Bill and Ted or Romy and Michelle, it's not that they are particularly stupid either. Both Wayne and Garth are actually pretty intelligent. In fact, Garth is pretty much a quiet tech genius, as we eventually learn throughout the movie. They're both just shamelessly pop culture obsessed, endlessly talking about their favorite bands, movies, TV shows, etc. Hmm... It's not like we know folks like that today, right? Pardon me. Do you have any gray poupon? <laughs> Rewatching it now, Wayne's World still has some dead spaces for sure. Even for a barely 90-minute movie, the pacing does feel off at times. The running gag involving Lara Flynn Boyle's ex-girlfriend just never really worked for me. 
And some of the stuff that takes place at Sam Makita's just drags a bit. But the highly memorable and or quotable moments still hold up. The Bohemian Rhapsody carpool karaoke. The cream of some young guy. Street hockey. Game on! Game on! Old Man Withers. And of course, my personal favorite, being educated by Alice Cooper on the meaning behind Milwaukee. Happy 30th to a true time capsule of joy. And party on. And that brings us to the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Because music is essential to film. And it's very essential to this film. I mean, wow, where to begin as there are just so many needle drops throughout this movie. Tia Carrera's Cassandra is the leader for a band called Crucial Taunt. And there are several sequences of them performing memorable songs. My personal favorite would be the last one when we watch her band perform in Wayne's basement as a big-time record company executive cruises in the area in his limo. Thanks to Garth's technical know-how, they have hacked into the dish, patched into the TV of said record exec's limo so that he can see them perform and, oh, never mind, it's just a fun sequence. The song performed is a cover of Ballroom Blitz by 70s British glam rock band The Sweet. It's a fast-paced rocker with a fun rockabilly drum beat throughout. Carrera just looks great defiantly rocking out in this scene, and Carvey's Garth is also doing some kind of kooky dance on the side, only moving his arms to the beat. It's just a fun sequence, and they really wail. And if you like what you see, we're at 2234 Pineway in Aurora, Illinois. So ladies and gentlemen, I give you Cassandra at Crucial Time! Now that's my runner-up, as we all know what the obvious winner has to be, right? Only one of the most enduring needle drops in the history of cinema. No joke. This pretty much helped bring a second life to the band Queen, Freddie Mercury, and of course six-minute-long unwieldy pop songs with two-word titles. Allow me to set the scene. Wayne, Garth, and crew start cruising around Aurora, Illinois, by way of the Bucktown Ukrainian Village area in Chicago by way of Berwyn, Illinois. Yeah, it's actually quite a lot of fun how they squeeze in so many widespread Chicagoland locations during a six-minute drive, part of the fun of the sequence. Beyond that, there's loads of glorious headbanging and Dana Carvey having some fun mouthing the words for a song that he clearly does not know all the words to. I'll leave it to Wayne to tell you what the song is. I think we'll go with a little Bohemian Rhapsody, gentlemen. Good call. I see a little silhouette of a man. Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you do the fandango? Thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening me. Galileo, 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 Figaro. Oh, I'm just a poor boy, nobody loves me. He's just a poor boy from a poor family, sparing his life from this monstrosity. 
Whoa, Phil. And that brings me to the next category, which would be trailer moment. This is the senior moment that best describes this movie. And as glorious as the Bohemian Rhapsody sequence is, it's not my personal favorite. As I already mentioned, that would be the Alice Cooper backstage sequence. And here's the thing. I'm not even a fan of Alice Cooper, nor even the pretty awful rock anthem that we see him and his band play in the sequence before this. It's called Feed My Frankenstein. I just, I don't get the appeal of this song. Sorry, it's just not my bag. But once Wayne and Garth go backstage to meet Mr. Cooper, it's a completely different story. And what happens is the comic scenario of meeting someone you haven't met before, and the first thing that comes out of their mouth is shockingly informative in a way that you just did not expect. Now, I can actually think of several movies since Wayne's World where you see this play out for laughs, the same scenario. Eraser, Silver Linings Playbook, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Ant-Man. But this one might be, this could be the first time. So props to Penelope Spheris and crew for kicking off a comedy trope that works for me literally 95% of the time. And it works really well this time as Alice Cooper educates our heroes on the unique aspects of the city of Milwaukee, which is Algonquin for the good land. So, do you come to Milwaukee often? Well, I'm a regular visitor here, but Milwaukee has certainly had its share of visitors. The French missionaries and explorers were coming here as early as the late 1600s to trade with the Native Americans. In fact, isn't Milwaukee an Indian name? Yes, Pete, it is. Actually, it's pronounced Miliwake, which is Algonquin for the good land. I was not aware of that. I think one of the most interesting aspects of Milwaukee is the fact that it's the only major American city to have ever elected three socialist mayors. Does this guy know how to party or what? That brings me to the next category, which would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. As I mentioned earlier, Lara Flynn Boyle plays Wayne's ex-girlfriend, Stacy, who spends her entire screen time just following Wayne around while trying to convince him to come back to her. As she follows him around, she continuously gets embarrassed via various physical pratfalls. We see her bicycle ride into the back of a car, flinging her forward. Uh-oh, incoming. Stacy, 10 o'clock. Hi, Wayne. Hi. Hey, are you all right? We see her sitting in a chair over a floor, which collapses, dropping her to the next floor, etc. It's kind of funny the first time you see it, but it gets old. She's basically just playing a very one-note character. It's unnecessary. It doesn't really add anything to the story. It's rarely that funny. And needless to say, it's a waste of Boyle's talent as an actress. And that brings me to the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Now, from what I have read and seen, Penelope Spheris pretty much saved this movie in the editing bay. Apparently, this was a very difficult shoot with multiple egos involved, and as a result, she felt the need to reshoot entire sections of the movie to placate some of those egos. So there was kind of a cut of scenes for Mike Myers, for Lorne Michaels, etc. So given that, the end result is pretty damn impressive. This is a genuinely funny movie featuring enduring characters. But like I said previously, it also feels unfinished and there's certainly some dead spaces. At the end of the day, this award still needs to go to the two stars who really make this thing really work. And that would be Mike Myers and Dana Carvey. On paper as characters, Wayne and Garth could seem so one-note, juvenile, 
almost as annoying as the buddy persona created by MTV comedian Pauly Shore at the time. Pauly Shore was very popular. And just as a reminder, Pauly Shore's debut film, Encino Man, came out just a few months after this film in 1992. And from what I remember, there were trailers for Encino Man before every screening of Wayne's World. So the comparisons were pretty obvious from the get-go. So you could even say that Pauly Shore was the unfunny, less likable version of Wayne and Garth. But these guys were genuinely endearing. Neither of them is as stupid as they initially seem. They mean well, they're always friendly, and they have relatively modest ambitions. All that Wayne and Garth really want is to run a cable access show, live comfortably in Aurora, own a 64-inch Fender Stratocaster, and date women who are way out of their league. And who can't relate to that? <laughs> Therefore, I anoint Myers and Carvey as co-MVPs. We're not worthy! We're not worthy! We're not worthy! We're stuck! We're stuck! My rating for Wayne's World would be four stars out of five. Now, if you were not of the right age when this movie first came out, I cannot guarantee that you'll enjoy it. But if nothing else, I'm sure that you will find a smile on your face during several moments. If you're looking to watch Wayne's World, it's available to rent or buy on all streaming platforms. And that ends another worthy review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.